0: one thing to be drawing a design, but to live it and understand and put your feet in somebody else's shoes. That was the idea is, say somebody is straight out of school, they're drawing a unit plan or they're drawing uh, a dining venue, floor plan, they can go to a community and live a day in the life of a senior for the next 24 hours. When they arrive to the community, they're assigned by um, staff a fake ailment. So for me, for example, I went to Indiana and I was assigned a wheelchair and I was told that I was getting my hip replaced. So for the next 24 hours, I'm navigating a community in a wheelchair. So it's a tool for our staff or designers to really put themselves in the shoes of who we're designing for.
1: Welcome to the Senior Housing Investors Podcast. If you are an owner, operator, investor, developer, or buyer of senior housing, you've come to the right place. The best way to stay connected with us is to sign up for our weekly newsletter at havenseniorinvestments.com. This podcast doesn't exist without you, our community. Thank you for listening and reach out to us anytime. Welcome back, everyone. Today, Kelsey Harriman's my co-host, has the pleasure of interviewing an amazing architect that was recently named a 2023 design champion by Environments for Aging. This award that she was awarded celebrates leaders within the senior living design sector who are bringing change and advocacy to the industry. Kelsey?
2: Thank you, John. Hey, everyone. I am so excited to be here today with Siobhan Favarden, who is the Global Practice Director within the Senior Living Department of HKS. HKS is a global firm of architects, designers, planners, and advisors who create places noted for their beauty and performance. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Siobhan.
0: Kelsey, thanks. It's a great pleasure
2: to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, of course. I'm excited about our conversation. So first, um, just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um well I I live in
0: Texas. I've been here since uh, last millennial, 1999. I consider myself an honorary <laughs> Texan even though I wasn't born here. Um originally from England. Uh, my mom is from Northern Ireland and my dad is from Iran. So uh, we we always joke around that no uh, buddy in our family is from the same country, but uh, we all consider ourselves Texan.
2: That's great. Yeah, I feel so I I've been in Colorado now over half my life. And I feel like, okay, maybe I can be an honorary Colorado, maybe maybe not. I don't know, some people think different. That's really neat. So have you been um, over to Ireland area? Yes, I have. I still, in
0: fact, have some family over there. My aunt and uncle and their children, some of their children are there. They also have family in England. So I do go over there sometimes. I don't get there as much as I'd like to, but uh, hopefully the, in the future I'll be able to travel there more.
2: Yeah, that would be wonderful. I hear it's beautiful. Someday I hope to get over there. Let's jump in and talk about kind of your path. How did you choose this path of architecture?
0: Well, I, I've always been interested in the arts and in the sciences. As a child, I never really had enough Legos. There just seemed to be this desire to have endless supply of Legos, and I just couldn't get my hands on enough. It was a great way, I think, for me to harness the artistic side. And also, I loved physics in middle school and high school. It was a great way for me to harness uh, the two and, and blend them together. My dad, he came from an engineering background. He was an electrical engineer, software engineer, and my mom it was a teacher. And so she kind of guided me towards this path. Uh, she exposed me to architecture. Um, we traveled a lot as a family and just pointing out things to be looking at, always being curious. Um, she was always asking me, what did I think about such and such a place or such and such an architect? And it got me curious early on. And so I knew right away, stepping into uh, college, that that's where I wanted to go. So I uh, headed to the University of Florida. They had a great program for undergrad in Gainesville. And um, the rest is history, <laughs>
2: That's so wonderful! What a blessing to kind of find your passion early on. I feel like that's doesn't happen, you know, as often as it should. Where you kind of grew up with this natural instinct of creativity and building, and so you know, having the support of your parents kind of pushed you in that direction. So that's really neat that you were able to harness that as a young kiddo. So being in architecture, I know that you've probably done a couple of different um, types. Did you always want to be in? Senior living or did something else kind of pull you in that direction? It's interesting because I never really thought of it being
0: something that I could specialize in. I always thought I would be a generalist and I, I cut my teeth in the office. So doing a lot of speculative office design, a lot of core and shell, and then waiting to see who would be the tenant to move in. And it was really great way to learn how to put a building together very quickly schedules were fast you knew um, how to work with consultants and a a developer the life cycle of the project was pretty short compared to what we would say like a life cycle of a design period for hospitality or senior living but you know after about five years or so i was looking for something with a little more purpose uh, a little more program the background at the University of Florida was really about spatial organization, less about the facade design and how spaces come together. And so I really wanted to get back to those roots and uh, senior living kind of landed in my lap with an opportunity. One of my friends had connected me to uh, David Dillard, who was heading up a practice uh, that was focused just on senior living. And to my surprise, when I had a chat with him, Uh, learned that it was very hospitality, blended hospitality with residential. And it just seemed like there was so much program that it would never be a dull day as far as uh, what would be, what you could organize a space to be there. It just seemed limitless in that regard. So it was a very exciting um, chapter to step into it. It was daunting too, because I didn't know what I didn't know but it was a great team. And the team is also still, many of us are still working together. We've been there probably you know, f- over 15 years together uh, working on just senior living. So we've learning from each other and, and the space itself is evolving too. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about the industry itself is evolving. So in that regard, it's, it's always dynamic and changing.
2: Yeah. And I, I mean, I have to imagine that being with a group of people from such different backgrounds really make sense. You know, like you said, senior living is not just one thing or another. It's a blend of different things. So um, I'm curious about everything that HKS does. Can you give us just a quick breakdown of the different types of industries that you guys are working in and maybe how you collaborate together? Sure. Yeah. Uh, well we are a design firm.
0: Uh, we're not just architecture. I mean we have um many practices, so to speak. So we, uh, Senior Living, sits within this group called PLACE. And within PLACE, we have commercial mixed use, we have RESI, we have hospitality, and mission critical. So all that important data that sits on your phone that goes to the cloud, that's what mission critical is. And then there's overlap um, within the PLACE organization that overlaps into healthcare, venues. We have uh, sports, performing arts, We also have education, K through 12, higher ed. And then we have an innovation platform. So that's really looking at research, real estate advisory. It helps uh, clients um, navigate what should they be doing with their real estate. We have cities and communities that's looking at urban planning, looking at it from an urban planning standpoint. And then we have uh, sustainability through the eyes of uh, ESG. And then the other part of this is uh, what we call line is really just pushing the envelope as what our CEO Dan Noble will say is where, where the puck is going, not where it is. Um, but think limitlessly, really pushing the envelope as far as how we're using materials, um, getting the maximum usage out of it, looking at AI, where is AI going and where is it going to take us?
2: That's really interesting. I can imagine AI in that industry is is kind of limitless there. So I know I'm veering off a little bit from senior living, but I just I have to ask because I was excited when I heard about all of this. You guys have that Sporting Stadium arm. So tell us about a couple of the exciting things that have recently unfolded in that area. Sure. Maybe not so recent, but now recent
0: in the news is our uh AT&T Stadium, which is, I think it was, the ribbon cutting was back in 2009. Now it's going to be hosting one of the games for the FIFA World Cup. Um, So that's really exciting to see that happening, that being a venue for what we call uh, soccer or football worldwide. You know, SoFi Stadium in LA is a pretty cool story there because it was one of the first projects that was digitally stamped and sealed. So this is something that HKS has patented. It's an emerging technology that uh, allows us, instead of printing documents and signing and sealing them, it's submitted to the city, submitted to the contractors uh, through a BIM model, because it's so complex. It's at the point where paper doesn't make sense. So it's really cool to see something like that, the SoFi Stadium, then The technology that was uh, developed through that is now being shared with other parts of our practices and, and a potential method for project delivery.
2: That's yeah, that's absolutely incredible. Like, just groundbreaking. And like you said that you can use that in your other areas of the practice, too. So that's really cool. Speaking about kind of design and architecture, as it relates to senior living and quality of life, that's, you know, I think that's so key. When you're looking at developing senior living, what connections do you see between different types of design and quality of life?
0: Yeah, I think it's more connection now. I think operators, developers uh, are seeing the value in ESG. They're seeing the value in connecting the outdoors and indoors and blurring that line, so to speak. They're seeing that it, it, it actually has an impact on mental and behavioral health. So I think what we're going to see, and we already are seeing this, is a lot more blurring of the lines between uh, landscape and interiors. So, what that means is uh, more open windows in key areas, more spatial connections than we, and less formulaic. So, we're seeing more curated spaces for uh, seniors. And, and I think we're also, you know, we saw this during the pandemic, it was pretty strenuous for staff to take care of our loved ones and making sure that uh, staff retention is is there. Uh, how do we elevate the staff experience and making sure that their break room, for example, is not just a back room that has no windows, but it's really an experiential place. It's an oasis because... Some staff may not have the best place to come home to, and so, if you can create an environment that is great experience for staff, they're excited they want to be there, and they can feel at peace because a lot of times this can be a very stressful environment when you're taking care of people that are distressed,
2: yeah, absolutely, and I think you know more and more lately it's just become so apparent that staff has to be taken care of. You know, it's such a tough job sometimes to take care of people in senior living. And so if you can pour into them and support them and in different ways that might seem small, but are actually, you know, a huge deal to them, like you said, a a break room that has windows or that's relaxing. So that's great um, that you guys can see that quality of life is not just for the residents, it's for the staff and everybody involved. So Tell us more about the mixed-use environments um, in senior housing. I know that that's a big project for you. So what are you guys doing in that area of architecture?
0: We're working a lot with cities and communities that's um, looking at design through an urban lens and more integrated beyond the walls of the actual physical senior living community. So what I mean is... Creating environments that are vibrant, uh, welcoming for not just a senior living resident, but it could be build some curiosity for folks that may be walking down the street and saying, you know what, I would like to have a coffee at this this coffee bar down the street, but it just happens to be operated by the senior living community. So really um, just blurring those lines and making it more like a, a true proper town and city. I think we're going to see a lot more intergenerational senior living communities. So the more we can involve the adult child, the grandchildren coming into these communities is great because it's uh, less of an obligation. It's more of, oh, it's dynamic. It's fun. Let's do something together with our grandparents or mom and dad. We're doing a community right now. Uh, A high-rise that's got a bowling lounge so that's not just uh, necessarily for the seniors but it's also great for the grandkids and it's cool to see uh, people using that in different generations coming together.
2: That's wonderful I mean intergenerational living is just a huge interest of mine um, and haven in general but I'm curious about This idea, the mixed use environments in senior housing in other parts of the world, you know, it seems as though the United States uh, views aging differently than other areas in the world. And, you know, I'd asked you about this on a phone call because I believe that you guys are global. You're not just in the United States. So how are you seeing senior housing uh, emerge in areas where it's more normalized for adult children to take care of their parents at home?
0: I mean, it's definitely something that we're looking at on a case-by-case basis. There's no, um, it's not homogenous by any means. We are context-driven. So every project that we look at, we look at what we call nature of place study. And that means we're understanding what are the family dynamics? What are the other components uh, where the hospital systems, for example, are they nearby? Do we create local clinics on site? And then understanding what are the sizes of these dwelling units need to be? Because here's an example. In in Mexico, we're looking at two projects and it's more of a family culture. Um, if family's coming to visit on a weekend and that's part of something that's typical in that culture, then you want to create spaces where family can gather together and not smaller rooms. You want to create bigger dining venues where um, a group of maybe 10 or 15 can come together and, and celebrate on a weekends, not just for Mother's Day or birthday celebrations, but this is very common to do this every week. So that's just one example. And so it's really just a case-by-case basis is understanding how different cultures think and how they like to to grow.
2: So you guys have a pretty big research arm, which is is very key in this industry. So it sounds like a lot of the the stuff you're doing, for example, in Mexico, uh, a lot of research, it goes into that. When we spoke last, you told me about the sleepover project in that research arm. I have to say that's one of the most unique things I've heard of in senior living, and I absolutely love it. So tell our listeners what that sleepover project is. Sure. Yeah. This sleepover project is something that we have
0: been doing as a practice for over 10 years now. And it was really a way, it's one thing to be drawing a design, but to live it and understand and put your, truly put your feet in somebody else's shoes. That was the idea is, okay, so say somebody is straight out of school they're drawing a unit plan or they're drawing uh, a dining venue floor plan. They may not know what they're drawing uh, right away, but they can go to a community. And so we ask this of all of our staff to go and experience this. They can go to a community and live a day in the life of a senior for the next 24 hours. And so when they get to, when they arrive to the community, they're assigned by um staff a fake ailment. So for me, for example, I went to Indiana and I was I arrived there and I was assigned a wheelchair and I was told that I was getting my hip replaced. So for the next 24 hours, I'm navigating a community in a wheelchair. I consider myself fairly strong, um, but my upper body was struggling to make uh the transitions between the floors from VCT to carpet and tile and so forth. So those were th- some of the things that we observe is what we would see is maybe not a big issue because for those that are more mobile, it becomes an issue. And so it really builds empathy and making sure that things, details matter. Things uh, that designers like to think about is maybe planning things to be centered, such as a lavatory, a sink, and a space. But what we've learned from uh, people with Alzheimer or dementia is that they need cues to prompt themselves to do something. So one thing that we like to do is offset the vanity so that it can provide a staging ground for the toothbrush, the toothpaste, and then here's your water. So it really reminds a patient um, or resident to, okay, here's how you would remember to brush your teeth. And having just a simple... One more foot or six more inches is critical to really prompt that person. So it's a tool for um, our staff or designers to really put themselves in the shoes of our, of who we're designing for and really just polishing how the design can be better for the resident
2: yeah that attention to detail that you guys have found is incredible, and I imagine that as you continue to have staff do the sleepover project, you learn little little tidbits each time, and it just can- you know it's just continuous improvement so that's that's really neat. We are actually amping this up a little bit uh next week we will
0: have a a geriatric simulator suit for anybody who's watched the Limitless series by with Chris Hems, Hemsworth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that will step it up a little bit to really uh, emulate what it was it like to have like arthritis, for example. So it'll simulate that.
2: That's that's really cool. Have you guys ever thought about you know making like a a docu series about that or just you know just to share those findings um, with other people. We're talking about that, and in fact, we are
0: going to launch a Design with Dignity playbook that will be coming out next year. What that it means is it's going to have elements of our findings from the Sleepover Project, and we're going to back it up with research. So um, we'll have evidence-based design studies that will support uh, why we do certain things, uh, design things a certain way, um, and that'll be backed up by research. So it will be documented um, through a Design Dignity playbook.
2: Oh, that's great. So that playbook will be available to the public then you said next year? That's the goal right now. Okay. Wonderful. I look forward to seeing that. So, um, okay. My last question for you, as we're wrapping up here, based on your experience as an architect, you know, all of the projects you've worked on, all of the people you've worked with, where do you feel that senior living is heading? What will the future look like? You know, I just came
0: back from Australia. Was for fun? And um, I went to this community with uh, my family, and uh, it wasn't intended to stumble upon senior living. We we just looked, happened to see it on Google Earth and thought, wow, this is a really cool, cool area. And it was basically a food hall, and it had a wellness hub and a daycare and a casino all under one roof. And we had a blast that afternoon. And then um, we realized there there was also housing on site. And then we we realized after Googling it that it was senior housing. So I think it was highly successful. It's obviously intergenerational. I think what we're going to see in the future is more of a a mixed-use setting of everything all under the one roof, more vibrant communities, less autonomous communities. Now, that's not for everybody uh, necessarily, but I think there's going to be more of a blending um, between uses of uh, wellness and healthcare. And um, I don't necessarily think we'll be clinical per se, but it'll be more behind the scenes and a support uh, for the senior living communities.
2: Well, I am very much looking forward to what you guys are going to do in the future. It sounds like you're you're headed in the right direction, and that's really exciting. So thank you for everything that you guys do uh, for our senior community. Um, and thank you for joining me today, Siobhan. It was really fun getting to know you and what you guys are doing over there at HKS. So if anybody that is listening wants to get a hold of you, wants to learn more about your projects or what you're doing, what is the best way for them to find you? Sure. Yeah. You can reach us at
0: www.hksinc.com. And then if you um, type in Senior Living, you'll find me there. Uh, I know my name is a little bit challenging to spell, but it's S-I-O-B-H-A-N. You should get it there, but happy to talk with anybody interested in learning more.
2: All right. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Kelsey. Pleasure.